We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 215 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, December 27th, 2021. All right, so here's how the Washington football team can make the playoffs. If Washington beats the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon, and then Minnesota, huh? What? Oh, you don't want to hear about Washington's playoff possibilities. Why? Oh. Because they're basically over. That's why. Well, here's some good news for you. Washington, as we speak on this Monday, uh, now holds the ninth overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. A top 10 pick. We can work with that. We can perhaps find a franchise quarterback with that. Kenny Pickett. Let's go. KP to DC. Let's get that trending. Uh, Look, I said that I wanted Washington to either win out or lose out, I suppose the latter now is what must happen. I hope you had a nice Christmas because you sure as heck did not have a nice night after Christmas. Hello and welcome to a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we had a scrimmage on Sunday night. The scrimmage featured a team from Washington, D.C. that right now does not have a name. Uh, We call the team the Washington football team, and that team scrimmaged at a team based in Dallas, Texas. We call that team the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we didn't keep score during the scrimmage because, you know what, who cares about the score? Uh, This is all about, you know, teaching life lessons, uh, building leaders of men. You know, this is all about teaching people how to stick a finger in a teammate's face so then he throws a punch at you. You know, that kind of a thing. Basic fundamental principles of life, right? I will be getting it to the Jonathan Allen-Duran Payne scuffle 
seen around the world. But my friends, the Washington football team now is 6-9 and nine, thanks to an atrocious performance on Sunday Night Football. A 56-14 loss at the Cowboys. Yes, 56-14. So much for Washington's benches. So much for Washington's realistic playoff possibilities. Uh, I do not want to vamp for too long in this opening segment because there is a lot that we need to get to. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways off the game. I will then go in-depth on the Jonathan allen Duran Payne scuffle. Or was it a fight? Should we say fight or scuffle? I'm not sure. Whatever it was, I'll talk about it. Uh, I will get into a number of other items from the game. I will be discussing the Washington football team, both in terms of what went wrong on Sunday night and in terms of where we are right now in the Ron Rivera era. I have some things to say about Dan Snyder. I have some things to say about Jason Wright. Uh, I will be addressing the DeShazer Everett tragedy. Uh, You're going to hear from Ron Rivera, Taylor Heineke, Jonathan Allen, and Deron Payne over the course of the show. I'll hit on the Wizards' ugly loss to the Philadelphia 76ers at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening as well, because it wasn't just enough for us as Washington, D.C. sports fans to have one hideous loss on Sunday night. We had to have two hideous losses on Sunday night. Uh, A friendly reminder, (laughs) while everyone is in such a great mood, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. You now can rate podcasts on Spotify. So for those who use Spotify, be aware of that. So five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two-cent review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. These ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful. I know that they can seem trite, but trust me, they are important and I very much appreciate you doing them. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback, as you may expect, uh, regarding the Washington football team's atrocious performance at the Cowboys. Tweet from KB, embarrassing organization from top to bottom. I'm assuming he's talking about the Washington football team and not the Cowboys. Tweet from Joe Cecil, dumpster fire, time to reboot. Email from Kurt Martin, the Monday night massacre against Philadelphia had nothing on this performance. That was easily the worst game I've ever seen, and there have been plenty. It might be a stretch, but all progress made under Ron Rivera was lost in one single game. When we talk about the fight shown by the team, I don't think it's supposed to be about fighting each other, but hey, at least we have the pretty benches absolutely pathetic. Thanks for all you do in covering the team. Well, thank you for that, Kurt. I appreciate that. Email from Stanley Evans. Tonight was another all-time embarrassment at your division rival. If Ron Rivera doesn't know, this is why you can't get more than 50% of the fans to come to your home games. Time and again, fans have lived through the disappointment and the mockery. If we get a good quarterback, maybe it'll help, but I'm not sure anything will change as long as Danny Boy is still running the team. Everybody in the media laughs at this organization. It's quite sad. Fans are tired of excuses, point blank, period. Uh, I got two emails from Rob. Now, neither email has any actual content. We just have the two subject lines. Uh, One subject line was, fire them all. The other subject line was, clean house. Yeah, 
Sunday night was a nightmare of a night for us as Washington football fans. Things did not go well, but we always hope that things are going well in your life, although we know that it's not always the case that things are going well in your life. Bad things do happen, and I want to let you know about a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has recently tried two cases. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family Take care of yours. All righty now. Uh, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to six and nine with a 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Takeaway number one. Washington's four-game winning streak was a sign that Ron Rivera's culture change was working. Washington's three-game losing streak calls everything into question. I take no happiness in saying that, but that's where I'm at, and I'm guessing that's where a lot of you are at. Uh, Washington's four-game winning streak was great. It was exciting. It resurrected the season. And best of all, the winning streak made you feel like, you know what? This Ron Rivera culture change may have some speed bumps and, you know, certainly isn't linear, but it's real and it's happening, especially with Washington overcoming so much in the way of injuries during the four game winning streak. The four game winning streak took Washington from two and six to six and six and, of course, set up Washington as being in position to make the playoffs. But one of the requirements for Washington to make the playoffs was doing well over the team's final five regular season games, all of which are against NFC East teams. This was the NFC East round robin, as Ron Rivera has called it. Well, here we are now, three games into the five-game NFC East round robin. Uh, Washington has lost all three games. Washington has been thoroughly outplayed in each of the three games. And Washington's COVID-19 and injury excuses for these three losses only go so far. This loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night was an embarrassment. 
a complete and total embarrassment. This was an unprofessional performance by a supposedly professional football team. The lack of quality play from Washington was shameful. I mean, it was pathetic. The effort at times was shameful and pathetic, like the tackling on the Malik Turner play. If you stayed up to watch the second half, uh, God bless you. Uh, I did, like a dope. But the final snap of the third quarter, Cooper Rush, yes, Cooper Rush was in at quarterback for the Cowboys at this point. Not Dak Prescott, but Cooper Rush had a third and six, 61-yard shotgun completion to receiver Malik Turner, who made countless Washington players guilty of missed tackles. Chris Collinsworth on NBC was laughing at the play. He tried to count all of Washington's missed tackles on the play. Do you know how pathetic that is for Washington? That a guy like Collinsworth, not that his opinion is gospel, but he's laughing at you. He's counting all of your missed tackles on a 61-yard reception that you just gave up. We, of course, had the Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne sideline incident in the second quarter. The fight, the scuffle, whatever you want to call it, was a terrible look for those players and for the organization. Look, I know that teammates get into fights, but that fight reeked of a defense coming apart at the seams. You know, that fight took place between two supposed team leaders, including a team captain in Jonathan Allen, who was the guy who threw the punch. Okay, now Deron Payne stuck a finger in Allen's face before Allen threw the punch, but still, Jonathan Allen, a team captain, threw a punch at a teammate on Sunday night. Not a good look. Not a good look at all. And of course, (laughs) the irony of that fight taking place near the special benches that Washington now is bringing to its road games the rest of the season. You just can't make this stuff up. These are supposed to be special heated benches. Well, things got heated near the benches. Uh, I will do more on the Jonathan Allen Duran Payne fight coming up later in the show. You're going to hear from both Jonathan Allen and Duran Payne, in addition to hearing from Ron Rivera on the fight. Uh, the score of the game at the half was Dallas 42, Washington 7. Not the final score. The score at the half was Dallas 42, Washington 7. The score of the game early in the fourth quarter was Dallas 56, Washington 7. The game from late in the second quarter on was garbage time. How often do you have a regular season game like that? Like, you'll have fourth quarters that are garbage time. You'll even have entire second halves that are garbage time. This game was garbage time from late in the second quarter on. This felt like a preseason game on Sunday night. The game was a joke. Washington's performance was a joke. And that brings me to Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is the leader of the Washington football team's football operations. He is the head coach in the coach-centric approach. He is the godfather of the Washington football team family. He is the Don of the family. He is, as I like to call him, Don Ron. And I like Ron Rivera. And I'm rooting very hard for Ron Rivera. And I recognize that Ron Rivera, since like the second he became the head coach, of Washington has had to deal with one thing after another. But Don Ron's Washington football team this season now is six and nine with a point differential of minus 
110. Yeah, minus 110. Washington this season has been outscored by 110 points. And you can bring up the COVID-19 absences all you want. The COVID-19 outbreak wasn't happening in September and October. I'm sympathetic to all of the injuries with which Washington has dealt. But you know what? Every NFL team deals with injuries. Like I said earlier, Washington's COVID-19 and injury excuses only go so far. Washington is 6-9 and nine with a point differential of minus 110. That is really bad. Ron Rivera and his football people don't look so good right now. And that doesn't mean that they're all terrible. That doesn't mean that Ron, as Washington head coach, is a failure, okay? There, to me, is still a ways to go in the Rivera era for however long it ends up lasting. But all of this does mean that there's also a long way to go until Washington's football operation is where it needs to be. And this does mean that it's more than fair to question everything right now, okay? You're not a hater if you're asking some serious questions right now. Takeaway number two, the Washington football team needs to be quiet and be better. And I want to address two people in particular, Dan Snyder and Jason Wright. So let's start with the Danny, who so obviously was responsible for the benches, okay? Uh, This game, this scrimmage at the Cowboys on Sunday night was game number two of Washington bringing its own benches for its sideline. Washington reached out to Dragon Seats, a Cleveland-based sports bench company, and Washington is using its own Dragon Seats benches for the team's remaining three road games in the 2021 regular season at the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 15, at the Dallas Cowboys in Week 16, and at the New York Giants in Week 18. And Washington doing this clearly is a reaction to what the Cowboys did for Washington's 27-20 loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14. The Cowboys for that game flew in their own sideline benches. Uh, Now, from the Cowboys, this was a clever alpha baller move by Jerry Jones and his team. And it was a move that looked all the better because the Cowboys, A, won at Washington in Week 14, and B, saw their fans take over FedEx Field in Week 14. Washington has since decided to bring its own benches to road games. Ron Rivera, in talking about this, has come off like he had nothing to do with this, and I believe that to be true. This benches thing reeks of having been a Dan Snyder thing. And Dan Snyder doing this benches thing to me is a function of Danny trying to be like Jerry Jones, to whom Danny has looked up for years. Trust me on that. And Dan doing this benches thing is a copycat move. It is a keeping up with the Joneses move. No pun intended. You know, this is an unoriginal, oh, I can do this too type move instead of a creative, clever, forward-thinking move. And it's a move that looks silly now that Washington has gotten punked in its first two games since making the move. The loss at the Eagles this past Tuesday night, and now this horrific loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night. Now look, 
take it a step back, this whole benches thing isn't that big of a deal. Like, it's not the end of the world that Dan Snyder copied an idea from Jerry Jones. Honestly, as a lifelong Washington football fan, it's not like I'm offended by this whole benches thing, but it's important to understand what Washington bringing its own benches to road games is. It is Dan Snyder trying to be like his big brother, Jerry Jones. And Washington, instead of coming off as being smart or even funny, just comes off as foolish, especially with Washington losing at the Eagles and now losing at the Cowboys. And the whole thing, for me as a fan of Washington, makes me want to say, how about you just shut up with the benches and just show up and play better, okay? How about you stop trying to be cute? How about you stop trying to copy Jerry and just show up and be better? Can you maybe do that? Oh, by the way, the benches for Sunday night were totally unnecessary. ESPN NFL insider Ed Werder, who has had close ties to the Cowboys for years, he on Sunday morning tweeted, quote, on an 80-degree day and with game played indoors at Washington NFL has ensured player access to custom-heated benches while Cowboys risk it all with simple aluminum benches tonight, end quote. Now, look, Ed Werder is a Cowboys guy, so that's clearly a shot that he's taking at Washington. But, you know, I thought it was a deserved shot. And I thought it was a pretty funny tweet that Ed Werder put out. Instead of looking clever and smart and baller-like, as the Cowboys did when they initiated this whole benches thing for the game at Washington, Washington looks pathetic with how this whole benches thing is playing out. And again, it's not like the benches thing is that big of a deal, but there's sort of a larger theme to the entire thing. Not a Jason Wright, okay? Look, I like Jason Wright. I am rooting for Jason Wright to succeed as Washington football team president. I can only imagine all of the things that Jason Wright already has had to deal with as Washington football team president. I have nothing personal against Jason Wright, but Jason Wright did something on Christmas night that I thought was beneath him. And again, like with the benches, I'm not trying to make a huge deal out of this thing with Jason Wright, but what he did, like what Danny did with the benches, just looks so much worse now. So in case you missed this, Washington football team president Jason Wright on Christmas night, okay, so this past Saturday night, put out a tweet that read, quote, good night at Washington NFL Nation, a holiday-themed game day is just a day away, end quote. Okay, but the tweet also featured a cartoon meme of Santa Claus and a snowman urinating on a Dallas Cowboys helmet, and you actually saw the flows of urine coming out in the meme. Now, no prude am I, okay? Uh, I enjoy a good joke. I am not easily offended. I was not offended by this meme. You know, I'm very much against something like cancel culture. This immediate reaction to everything that we don't like, you know, can't just be to cancel the sources of the things that we don't like. So I'm not trying to say, you know, cancel Jason Wright or anything like that. I'm just saying this, all right? Like, there is to me a level of, shall we say, decorum, that certain positions require. And I would say that the president of an NFL team is one of those positions. Now, what exactly qualifies as meeting the standard of decorum obviously is very subjective. But to me, this is the kind of thing about which you can say that you know it when you see it. And the president of the Washington football team on Christmas night, putting out a tweet, however well-intended, 
that featured a meme of Santa Claus and a snowman urinating on a Dallas Cowboys helmet with the actual flows of urine visible seemed to be beneath the requisite level of decorum. And among the many responses to the tweet from Jason Wright were the following, quote, just another clear example that WFT is a JV franchise at best, end quote. Another response, quote, can't believe Jason really tweeted this, must be something Dan wanted out, end quote. Another response, quote, I mean, this is right up there with the benches, or should I say down there? I'm just glad I'm at the point of apathy, let alone glad I'm not in the lowest common denominator this post is meant to appease, end quote. Another response, quote, you're supposed to be better than this, Jason, end quote. Another response, quote, someone come take our president's phone, man, end quote. Another response, quote, stunningly inappropriate even for this organization, end quote. Now, to be fair, plenty of the responses to the tweet were in support of the tweet. And Jason Wright himself, in a response to one of the responses, showed some self-deprecation. Jason, in a response to a tweet that read, quote, we need more team presidents who operate at this level, end quote, tweeted, quote, that level being the gutter, end quote. Okay, you know, a little bit of self-deprecation, I think, goes a long way. But just because some people liked Jason Wright's peeing on the Cowboys helmet tweet doesn't make it a good idea. Again, I am all for having fun. But the tweet to me was the kind of thing that just fell beneath a person in Jason's position, especially with that position being in an organization that has had a number of internal problems. And Jason Wright on Sunday morning put out multiple tweets in response to all of the criticism that he had received. The first tweet, quote, friends, hashtag beat Dallas tweets are meant in good fun. I see irreverent pointed exchanges as the superficial and fun ways that fans pay homage to historic and meaningful rivalry, a rare space where foolishness is not at odds with professional respect. I mean for you to enjoy without angst, end quote. And then Jason Wright, in a response to that tweet, wrote, quote, simple translation, chill, just jokes, end quote. Okay, I get where Jason Wright is coming from. I don't think he's a horrible human being for putting out the uh, peeing on the Cowboys helmet tweet there on Christmas night. But the fact that Jason Wright felt the need to put out those tweets on Sunday morning, to me, says a lot. Because if there was no part of him that felt that his peeing on the Cowboys helmet tweet may have been just a tad inappropriate, or if there was no part of him that didn't find some of the criticism of his peeing on the Cowboys helmet tweet to be valid, then he wouldn't have put out those tweets on Sunday morning, and the peeing on the Cowboys helmet tweet now looks even worse in an ironic way, right? Because what happened on Sunday night? The Cowboys urinated on Washington, okay? Not the other way around. Like, it's not that Washington lost on Sunday night, you know, 23-20 on a field goal at the gun. No, Washington got urinated on by the Cowboys on Sunday night. Like, if you really want to be that graphic about things, okay, and you want to put out a tweet like that, what you put out in that tweet with that meme, that's exactly what happened to your team on Sunday night. Like Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne getting into their scuffle right in front of those Washington football theme benches. You can't make this stuff up. The irony is oh so rich. And understand this too. 
Washington now is 5-13 and against the Dallas Cowboys since the start of the 2013 season. 5-13. and The rivalry, to whatever extent it still exists, has been extremely one-sided for nearly a decade now. Washington is just 5-13 and against the Cowboys over the last nine seasons. That's not good. That's your rival urinating on you. Not you urinating on your rival. And that's the truth. Well, the truth also is that Dr. George Verghese of the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland is always there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. This is the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to six and nine with a 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Takeaway number three. Taylor Heineke was horrendous for a second consecutive game for him. And both games have come against the Cowboys. We'll see what ultimately ends up happening with Taylor Heineke as a Washington quarterback. But what to me is undeniable is that his two worst games as a Washington quarterback have been his last two games, and both of those games have come against the Cowboys. So Taylor Heineke was really bad in Washington's loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14. His total QBR per ESPN for the game was 5.5. Well, do you know what Heineke's total QBR for this debacle at the Cowboys on Sunday night was? 4.0. Yeah, 4.0. As of very early Monday morning, because these QBR numbers can change, Taylor Heineke's total QBR for this loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night was 4.0. Heineke per QBR was actually worse on Sunday night at the Cowboys than he was in that first game against the Cowboys at FedEx Field. Taylor Heineke was back as Washington's starting quarterback on Sunday night, and that in and of itself was a good thing. He returned from a one-game absence that was due to him having COVID-19. Washington, this past Thursday morning, December 23rd, activated Taylor Heineke off the reserve COVID-19 list. He had been on that since December 17th. 
And Taylor Heineke, in a post-practice Zoom press conference on Thursday afternoon, December 23rd, admitted that he had been symptomatic of COVID-19, and he had had some struggles with COVID-19. He dealt with fatigue. He dealt with body aches. He dealt with headaches. He dealt with a runny nose. He dealt with a scratchy throat. Now, you know, maybe Taylor Heineke was at less than 100% on Sunday night. That is a possibility. But Taylor Heineke was terrible on Sunday night, and he was terrible for a second consecutive game. Taylor Heineke went just 7 of 22, 7 of 22 for just 121 yards, 5.5 yards per pass attempt, a touchdown and two interceptions. He got sacked four times. Washington with him at quarterback went just 1 of 9 on third downs. And Heineke got benched for the entire fourth quarter in favor of Kyle Allen. Rod Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night, on whether Heineke being benched in favor of Allen was a Sunday night thing or a sign that Kyle Allen could be Washington's starting quarterback for Washington's next game, this Sunday afternoon's game, against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field at 1. That was a tonight thing. That was, that was to protect Taylor, you know, more so than anything else. All right. I mean, makes sense. But Ron apparently is continuing to stick with Taylor Heineke, is continuing to stick with Tay-Tay as Washington's starting quarterback. I mean, at this point, I don't know that any of this really matters. I'm a big Taylor Heineke fan, but he is playing his way out of any realistic conversation about Washington moving forward with him as its starting quarterback. Now, I think Taylor Heineke is back with Washington next season as at least the backup quarterback, okay? I think Taylor Heineke has earned that much with what he's done this season, and he has done plenty of good this season. But these really bad performances during the course of this season, including and especially these last two performances in these games against the Cowboys, have been tough to watch. And they're very, very difficult to look past, even if you're like one of the biggest Taylor Heineke supporters. He threw two interceptions on Sunday night, and they were painful. Taylor Heineke interception, number one, Washington's first offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive on a first and 10 for Washington at its 28. Taylor Heineke on an under center play action bomb intended for Terry McLaurin through a first quarter interception to corner Trayvon Diggs, who was glued to Terry McLaurin. Trayvon Diggs, the local, right, grew up in Maryland, is the brother of Maryland product and Buffalo Bills receiver Stefan Diggs. Now, look, Trayvon Diggs is an elite corner this season. Trayvon Diggs now has 11 interceptions this season, but, and you'll hear Haneke's uh, interpretation of things coming up momentarily, that was a really bad moment and just a gut punch given the way that Washington was trying to begin the game offensively. And then Taylor Heineke interception number two, Washington's third offensive drive, the third snap of the drive on a third and seven for Washington at its 43. Taylor Heineke on a shotgun pass through a first quarter 40-yard pick six to edge defender Demarcus Lawrence, who deflected the pass to himself and then raced into the end zone. Yes, that was a tremendous play by Demarcus Lawrence, but also, yes, you as a quarterback have got to find proper throwing lanes. And Taylor Heineke on that play did not do that. Here was Taylor Heineke during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night on his two interceptions. Well, you know, first play of the game, it's unfortunate. We wanted to take a shot, and uh, the ball was just too flat. I need to get it a little higher and, and, and further, and I think Terry would have had a good shot at it. And then that, you know, second pick is just unfortunate. You know, his defensive lineman put put his hand up and went into his hand. So, you know, when you get down 
what, 21 points right off the bat, it's, it's tough to come back from. And it, it, against a team like that, you don't want to get down because then you got to start throwing the ball a lot. And that's that's what they, they want you to do. You know, they want their D-line to pin their ears back and, and get after them. Um, so, again, you know, it, we, we dug ourselves a hole really, really early. Yeah, no question about that. And unfortunately, a major digger of the hole was Taylor Heineke. Now, in fairness to Taylor Heineke, he took a beating in this game, just like he took a beating in that first game against the Cowboys that lost to Dallas at FedEx Field in Week 14. And I give Taylor Heineke a lot of credit. That guy is tough. That guy keeps getting hit and he keeps getting up, you know. And if you remember all of the offseason concerns about the durability of Taylor Heineke, this guy has withstood a lot of punishment. This guy has absorbed a lot of hits this season, and he has kept getting up, and he has kept coming back for more. And if nothing else, Taylor Heineke deserves a lot of credit for that. But he got whacked around in this game. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in a first-quarter punt. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke took a quarterback hit from linebacker-slash-edge defender Micah Parsons on a second-and-four shotgun play-action incompletion. And then on the very next snap, the fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke took another quarterback hit, this one from edge defender Randy Gregory on a third-and-four shotgun incompletion. Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second-quarter punt. The first snap of the drive, Micah Parsons, first-and-ten sack at Taylor Heineke for a five-yard loss. The fifth snap of the drive, safety J. Ron Kirst demolished Jarrett Patterson in pass protection, and had a second and six sack of Taylor Heineke for a two-yard loss. How about the hit that Taylor Heineke took from Keanu Neal in the second half? Washington's 11th offensive drive resulted in a third-quarter turnover on downs. The sixth snap of the drive, this actually was a no-play due to a five-yard offside penalty by corner Kelvin Joseph, but Taylor Heineke took a nasty shot from linebacker Keanu Neal on this third and 10 snap that again ended up not even being an official play. So Taylor Heineke is getting smashed all around right now. Uh, Washington never solved the Cowboys pass rush in this 2021 regular season, and there just were not many good moments for Taylor Heineke on Sunday night. A lot of passes were off. Uh, You know, you did have what happened on Washington's fourth offensive drive, which resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass, his third and goal, eight-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson on a screen pass on the second snap of the second quarter. The first snap of the drive was a great play, a Taylor Heineke first and 10, 48-yard under center play action bomb to Deami Brown. Yes, Deami Brown made a big play, uh, made a great leaping catch, actually, between two Cowboys defensive backs, including corner Trayvon Diggs. You also had... Uh, a great Taylor Heineke, Patrick Mahomes-esque play in the first half. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. The second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a second and 10, 14-yard shotgun play action completion to Dax Milne, on which Heineke, while being pressured by J. Ron Curse, sidearmed the football to Milne, who, by the way, seemingly wasn't expecting a throw, but Milne did make the catch and run. Uh, so that was a great play by Taylor Haneke, but way too few positive plays for Tay-Tay on Sunday night. And like I said, it's not all his fault, but he has not been good at all over these last two games. His combined total QBR over these two games against the Cowboys this season, 9.5. That is hideous, man. That is very hideous. Takeaway number four, Washington's defense, speaking of hideous, was really bad for a second consecutive game. 
and the COVID-19 and injury excuses only go so far. So there was a lot going on with Washington's defense from a roster maneuvering standpoint in the days leading up to this game. If you're a real Washington football team wonk like I am, so many transactions were announced by Washington in the days leading up to this game. More on those transactions coming up a little bit later on. But just know that among the many Washington defensive players out for this game were corner William Jackson III, linebacker Cole Holcomb, linebacker Jamin Davis, and safety slash linebacker, because he doesn't like just being called a linebacker, Landon Collins. Uh, But those absences do not excuse how horrible Washington's defense ended up being in this game. The numbers are frightening. Washington allowed the Cowboys to score 56 points. Washington allowed the Cowboys to put up 497 total net yards of offense. Washington allowed the Cowboys to average 6.8 yards per play. Washington allowed the Cowboys to go 10 of 15 on third downs. Washington allowed the Cowboys to go 6 of 6 in the red zone. The Cowboys had six red zone possessions. Each one resulted in a touchdown. And then there was what Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott did to Washington's defense on Sunday night. Washington's defense on Sunday night got emasculated, okay? Got castrated by Dak. So much for Dak being in a funk, okay? Dak Prescott on Sunday night played for less than three quarters, okay? He didn't play for three quarters and then get pulled. He played for less than three quarters. He played for like two quarters and change on Sunday night. And yet Dak finished the game with the following numbers. 28 of 39 for 330 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. And he had four carries for 21 yards. Washington allowed Dak Prescott to begin the game 11 of 11 for 109 yards and a touchdown. The juxtaposition of Taylor Heineke doing as poorly as he was doing and Dak Prescott doing as well as he was doing was something else. It's hard to remember a game in which there was that much of a discrepancy between how Washington's starting quarterback was doing and how the opposing team's starting quarterback was doing. Among the many bad plays and moments for Washington's defense in this game. The Cowboys' second offensive drive started at the Cowboys' 29 off Taylor Heineke's first quarter interception to corner Trayvon Diggs. A nine-play, 71-yard drive resulted in Dak Prescott's first quarter, third and four, five-yard shotgun touchdown pass to running back Ezekiel Elliott, who was wide open. The Cowboys killed Washington with their no-huddle attack on this drive. The Cowboys' third offensive drive, an eight-play, 74-yard drive, resulted in Dak Prescott's first quarter, first and goal, nine-yard under center play action boot touchdown pass to tight end Dalton Schultz, who was wide open. The seventh snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown, Dak Prescott had a third and six, 10-yard shotgun completion to receiver Amari Cooper. Now, I do want to note on this play, was Cowboys center Tyler Biotish way downfield. No flag was thrown. Uh, screenshots of Biotish being way downfield and no flags being thrown all over social media on Sunday night. And justifiably so, that was a horrible miss by the officials. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to cry about officiating in a 56-14 Washington loss at Dallas, but that was a terrible miss by the officials. But anyway, bad drive 
for Washington's defense. The Cowboys' fourth offensive drive, eight plays, 75 yards, resulted in running back Ezekiel Elliott's second quarter, third and two, 11-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. It was after this drive that we had the Duran Payne and Jonathan Allen scuffle. Uh, third snap of the drive on a third and seven for the Cowboys at their 28. Washington gave up a Dak Prescott 40-yard shotgun completion to receiver Michael Gallup, who's wide open near the right sideline on a broken play, on which, on which, go back and watch this play, by the way, if you have the game on DVR, Montez Sweat wound up way wide of and way behind Dak. I can only imagine what Ron Rivera will be thinking when he sees that on the game tape. That sure seemed to be another instance of Montez Sweat, you know, trying to do too much and being undisciplined and not being gap sound like he's supposed to be. Uh, The Cowboys' fifth offensive drive, nine plays, 80 yards, resulted in Dak Prescott's second quarter, third and goal, one yard, eye formation, play action, touchdown pass to offensive tackle Terrence Steele on a tackle eligible play. Yes, Washington got tackle eligible on Sunday night. Cowboys' sixth offensive drive, a 12-play, 89-yard drive, resulted in Dak Prescott's first and 10, 13-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Amari Cooper with five seconds left in the second quarter. The 11th snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown on a fourth and two for the Cowboys at the Washington 40. Washington gave up a Dak Prescott 14-yard shotgun completion to tight end Dalton Schultz, and Bobby McCain committed a pretty blatant 13-yard unnecessary roughness penalty with a shot to the head slash neck area of Schultz. Uh, That was not a very good moment for Bobby McCain, and he knew right away he was guilty. He caught the flag, at least one of the flags, uh, on that play, but uh, that was a bad look, I thought, for Bobby McCain, who was frustrated. I get it, but you know, you don't go headhunting on a guy like that, Uh, but that was a give-up, a bad give-up by Washington on a fourth and two to give up that 14-yard completion. And then you had the Cowboys' ninth offensive drive. And this was maybe as galling as anything. This, to me, is the Malik Turner drive. So this was the first drive of the game with Cooper Rush at quarterback for the Cowboys. The drive resulted in Cooper Rush's second and five, nine-yard under center play action boot touchdown pass to receiver Malik Turner on the second snap of the fourth quarter. The ensuing extra point put Washington down 56-7, Uh, The third snap of the drive and the final snap of the third quarter, Cooper Rush, a third and six, 61-yard shotgun completion to Malik Turner, who made countless Washington players guilty of missed tackles. Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night, on how much Washington's COVID-19 and injury absences had to do with Washington's oh-so-bad defensive performance in this 56-14 56-14 loss at the Cowboys. I mean, it's all it's all tied together. I mean, if you look at the things that have happened in the last couple of weeks, you know, we've dealt with a lot, but that's football. That's life. You're going to deal with a lot in life. How you handle it, though, that's the important thing. We didn't handle it very well tonight. That's disappointing. we got to be better than that. We expect to be able to win football games. we got to be better than that as a group. Yes, you do. You know, what's funny is that Washington's defense got off to a good start in the game. Washington had two sacks on the Cowboys' first offensive drive. This was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive, and a first and 10 for the Cowboys at their 38. Matt Ioannidis got credited with a sack of Dak Prescott uh, for zero yards. Uh, Dak was scrambling off an under center play action boot. And then on the fifth snap of the drive, on a second and 10 for the Cowboys at their 38, Deron Payne sacked Dak Prescott for a six-yard loss off Dak being 
And the shotgun, I said to myself, I'm like, okay, we're in business. You know, Washington's defense looks like it's in pretty good form uh, for this game. And Washington's defense looks like it's poised to author a bounce back performance off the bad defensive performance that we had in the loss at the Eagles this past Tuesday night. Uh, Not so fast, my friend, in terms of Washington's defense playing well in this loss at the Cowboys. And then takeaway number five, the Terry McLaurin disappearing act continues. Uh, I talked about this a lot on the podcast last week. What has been going on with Terry McLaurin? Well, Terry in this loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night, three receptions for 40 yards on six targets. So Terry McLaurin now over his last five games has a mere 12 receptions for 164 yards and no touchdowns on 25 targets. And as I have said, this certainly is not all of Terry's fault. Washington's many injuries on offense or reason. You know, I think Washington is really missing guys like Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick. Washington's shoddy quarterback play is a reason. You know, Taylor Heineke's last two games having been his two worst games as a Washington quarterback. Garrett Gilbert being Washington's starting quarterback for the loss at the Eagles. Those things don't help. I think Scott Turner probably could be doing more to get Terry McLaurin more touches. But you know who else is a reason for Terry McLaurin's recent lack of production? Terry McLaurin. There have been some plays that he just has not made. And on Sunday night, he tripped on a play that was there to be made. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive on a third and nine for Washington at its 47. Terry McLaurin had corner Trayvon Diggs beat, but Terry tripped and fell down on what ended up being a Taylor Heineke third and nine deep shotgun completion intended for Terry. Now, on this play, it looked to the naked eye, just watching the play upon first glance, that Trayvon Diggs tripped Terry McLaurin. And yes, as the play evolves, there is some uh, tripping by Diggs of McLaurin in the latter stages of the play, but Terry was already stumbling. And what caused the initial stumble was Terry tripping over his own legs. If you watch the play in slow motion, you see that. And, you know, Terry did such a good job of, again, having Diggs beat on the play, but Terry was unable to complete the play. And, you know, the bottom line is the production has just gone down the tubes for a guy who was playing at an all-pro level earlier this season. I mean, what you have to say, and I don't like saying this, but what you have to say is Trayvon Diggs shut down. Terry McLaurin in these two games between Washington and Dallas this season. And we have seen Terry do quite well over his three seasons as a Washington receiver against some of the better corners in the NFL. But recently, we're seeing Terry get handled by good corners. And Terry got handled by Trayvon Diggs over these two Washington games against the Cowboys. And the overall picture here, again, last five games now for Terry McLaurin, just 12 receptions on 25 targets, no touchdowns. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Terry McLaurin is better than that. And one more time, it's not all his fault. But you also can't just sit here and absolve him of uh, all blame for what's gone on with his production over these last five games. So there you go, the front five, my five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to six and nine with a 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. It is never easy saying that score during this show. 56-14. That was embarrassing. 
Takeaway number one, Washington's four-game winning streak was a sign that Ron Rivera's culture change was working. Washington's three-game losing streak calls everything into question. Takeaway number two, the Washington football team needs to be quiet and be better. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke was horrendous for a second consecutive game for him, and both games, yes, have come against the Cowboys. Takeaway number four, Washington's defense was really bad for a second consecutive game, and the COVID-19 and injury excuses only go so far. And takeaway number five, the Terry McLaurin Disappearing Act continues. Up next, much more on the Washington football team's humiliating loss at the Cowboys or react to what Ron Rivera said late night on Sunday night about the Jonathan allen Duran Payne fight. And still to come, I'll give you my thoughts on the DeShazer Everett situation. Well, two games now are left in the Washington football team's regular season, home to the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1, and then at the New York Giants Sunday afternoon, January 9th at 1. Do not exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets to Washington football team games. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you could find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch the Washington football team live, in person, down the stretch of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, more now on the Washington football team often falling to six and nine with a 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. So maybe slash probably the biggest item coming out of this game from a Washington standpoint is the fight, is the scuffle. Uh, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne getting into a scuffle on the sideline 
in the second quarter. That really is something, isn't it? I mean, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are supposed to be two of your best players on defense. Back-to-back first-round picks for Washington, right? Washington took Jonathan Allen in the first round of the 2017 NFL Draft, took Deron Payne in the first round of the 2018 NFL Draft. Each guy went to Alabama. Each guy is a Bama skin. You know, each guy is supposed to be a part of this nucleus of solid, good citizen Washington defensive players who are going to lift up this defense to heights that we had not seen uh, for a very long time. And, you know, the defense was good, was much improved last season, but this has been a very strange season for this Washington football team defense this season. And Jonathan Allen has had a great season. Deron Payne, not as good, but it's not like Deron Payne has been a nothing this season. But each guy is a part of a defense that has looked really bad over these last two games. Uh, COVID-19 and injury uh, have had something to do with that. But also, you have to say, uh, Washington's players are not playing very well right now. And here you had Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne getting into it with each other on national television on Sunday night. And this became a huge talking point on the NBC telecast of the game. So Cowboys' fourth offensive drive was an eight-play, 75-yard drive, resulted in running back Ezekiel Elliott's second quarter, third and two, 11-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. It was after this drive that Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen got into a scuffle on the Washington sideline. Deron put a finger in Jonathan's face, and Jonathan threw a punch at Deron. Who said what? We do not know. Obviously, Deron Payne was antagonizing Jonathan Allen and putting a finger in Allen's face. You know, you could also say uh, Jonathan didn't have to throw a punch at Deron, okay? That's true, too. Uh, But whatever the case was, that was a heated situation. The two had to be separated. And then some of the shots of Deron Payne after that, he looked like he was fuming, man. I mean, if you remember like in cartoons when they have steam coming out of somebody's ears, that's what Deron Payne looked like. He looked like he had steam (laughs) coming out of his ears. And, you know, Jonathan Allen always looks like he's ready to beat up somebody. So, I mean, Allen is a guy you don't want to mess with. But, you know, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, we just do not know. We do know this, though. Each guy did do a post-game press conference. And for that, I will give the Washington football team credit, and I will give these players credit. They didn't run and hide, okay? They stood up there, and they faced the music after the game. Now, you know, neither guy did a very long post-game press conference. That's true. But at least you heard from each guy in this Zoom press conference environment in which locker rooms are not open to reporters Uh, The Washington football team very easily could have hid each guy, didn't do that. So I give the team and I give the players at least some credit uh, along those lines. But let's hear from Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. So first of all, here was Jonathan Allen after the game during his postgame press conference with reporters. What, what What are the next steps here? I mean, the next step is moving on. The thing about when something happens on the field, you never let it carry into the locker room. You know what I mean? So things get heated. We fix them. We sit down as grown men and we move on. What was the disagreement about? I mean, I don't think you, it takes a rock inside just to, you know, if you look at how that game went, I mean, emotions are high, things are high, things happen. You guys have dealt with a lot off the field too in recent weeks between COVID, the Shazer, injuries to key guys. How do you, or are you able to kind of separate that fully from the game or does that affect you guys like anybody else? 
I mean, it, affect, it definitely affects us, but as professionals, it's our job to go out there and play good football, which for the last two weeks has been probably some of the worst football I've ever been a part of, including myself. So, I mean, we have no one to blame but ourselves, and, you know, we just got to do what we got to do, starting in practice. John, you had talked a lot about the defense staying together during that stretch, so for something like this to happen on Sunday Night Football in front of an audience, how disappointed are you? It's unfortunate for sure. You need, you know, I, we're better than that, but as a man, I'm going to take full responsibility for my actions and paying to do the same. You guys, you guys have talked about being resilient a lot uh, this year. Do you, do you feel like you guys were resilient in the second half and if so, why I mean, compared to the first, yes, but we're still nowhere near to where we want to be. I mean, it was a pretty embarrassing performance for the second week. Yeah, it was embarrassing, and good for Jonathan Allen for saying that. Here was Deron Payne during his post-game press conference with reporters. Well, what happened afterward? How, how did it get resolved? So we just started back playing football. Are you guys okay now? Huh? Are you two good now? It's all good. Deron, for that to happen, I mean, you guys have gone back years. Why do you think it boiled over to the point it did? I mean, you got, you got brothers. Y'all fight, don't it? This shit happened. Like that happened before? I mean, I got a bunch of brothers, so. All right. Thanks, Ron. Okay, there you go. Uh, Duran's postgame press conference did not last for very long. Rod Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night, on whether he spoke with Jonathan Allen and Duran Payne. Talk to both of them. What did they say? I talked to both of them. What, I, what my players say to me is really nobody's business. All right. And then Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night, got asked whether the Jonathan allen Duran Payne scuffle is indicative of a larger problem with Washington's defense. Yeah, frustration. You know, wanting to win. You know, having an opportunity for the last few weeks and not being able to get it done, not being able to have all the pieces in place that you need to go out there and play together. Um, that's what that is. That's, that's guys wanting to compete, wanting to win more than anything else. You know, one of the things that I wondered about months ago when Washington's defense was really bad during Washington's 2-6 and six start to the season was, was there more going on with the defense than we knew? Because Washington's defense was so bad during that two and six start to the season, that it just felt like to me that there was more going on than we knew. And I talked about this and I tweeted about this and, you know, I got lectured to by some people of, oh, there goes Goldie trying to stir up controversy and, oh, there goes Goldie trying to make stuff up. And it's like, nah, bro, I'm not trying to stir up anything. I'm not trying to make up anything. I'm just reading the tea leaves, okay? When a defensive unit is as bad as Washington's was over the first two months of the season, despite having all of this talent and despite being mostly healthy, you have to say to yourself, what is happening here? Because there was a major disconnect between the talent on the defense and the expectations for the defense and the performance of the defense. So what exactly was happening here? And it just reeked to me of a unit That wasn't all on the same page. And sure enough, what have we come to see as this season has gone on? Ron Rivera, not pleased with Chase Young and Montez Sweat, uh, not always adhering to the defensive scheme. And now we get something like this, a sideline scuffle between Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Now look, it doesn't mean that Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne hate each other, but it does mean 
that there's tension there, okay? Or at least there was tension there. Maybe the tension now is gone because the two got it out of their systems on Sunday night. Who the heck knows? But like, you know, enough of this, oh no, they're all uh, fine with each other and there are no problems. Like, no, I think it's more than fair to wonder about what's been going on behind the scenes this season with this defense. And I'm not saying anything with certainty because I don't know, but you know what? You don't know either. And I think there are some real questions that need to be asked about what the heck has happened with this defense this season. So you heard some of what Ron Rivera had to say about the Jonathan Allen Duran Payne incident. We then, during Ron's postgame press conference late night on Sunday night, got the following exchange. And I want to play this for you. Take a listen to this an exchange between Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post and Ron Rivera. Here you go. Why don't you think your team handled it well? Why did I think we didn't handle it well? Do you see the score? I mean, I mean, what attributed to the players not handling it well? I just told you. We just went through a few weeks, a couple of things, bad things happening. Okay, you have to deal with those things, and it's tough. It's not easy to, to try and separate and compartmentalize situations like that. It spills over. It gets to people. It's, it's human nature. You know, these guys are more than just robots. They don't go out there. These guys have feelings. These are players. These are people. Okay, they got a teammate going through something right now that they're, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, I mean, you, you have an opportunity and you don't have everybody playing. That, that's hard on people. I mean, that's not normal shit. That's real life shit. And that's what they're dealing with. These are young men. And we're just trying to help them along the way. Okay? So how about that? Ron Rivera there clearly talking about the DeShazer-Everett situation. I'm going to talk about that situation in a few minutes. But Ron right there very clearly saying that the DeShazer-Everett situation has impacted the team. And I get that. I'm sympathetic to that. But Ron himself said it just a few moments earlier. That's life. You're going to deal with a lot in life. Washington, if it was negatively impacted by this DeShazer-Everett situation, did not deal well with the DeShazer situation at all. And some of that does fall on Ron Rivera. Now, there was a lot going on with Washington's defense from a roster maneuvering standpoint in the days leading up to this game. I think it's important to be mindful of everything that was transpiring with this team going into this game, not to excuse the performance, but just to get a clearer picture of the chaotic nature of things right now for the Washington football team. This team is in chaos right now. And some of that has nothing to do with like anything that the team did. It's just a matter of circumstance and bad luck. But Washington for this game was without multiple key defensive players due to them being inactive. Corner William Jackson III was inactive due to the calf injury that he suffered in the loss at the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 15. Linebacker Jamin Davis was inactive on Sunday night. This due to what the team called, quote, an abundance of caution, end quote, over concerns of him possibly having COVID-19. Now, it was really confusing with Jamin Davis prior to the game because Jamin had been dealing with a shoulder injury, but he, for the Friday before this game, so Christmas Eve, December 24th, was listed as not having participated in practice due to personal reasons. And that raised some eyebrows because Jamin Davis reportedly was at the scene 
of the DeShazer Everett tragedy on Thursday night, December 23rd, when DeShazer was a driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County that killed the vehicle's passenger. Jamin Davis and coroner Benjamin St. Juice reportedly spoke to police, and Jamin Davis and Benjamin St. Juice said that they were in a car behind DeShazer's car after having gone out to dinner with him. So, you know, everyone sort of connected the dots and said, well, Jamin isn't in a mental state of mind proper enough to play on Sunday night. No, it turns out that there was a COVID-19 scare uh, with Jamin Davis. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference late night on Sunday night on whether there's concern now that Jamin Davis has COVID-19. Um, no, not now. Um, you know, he, we were able to get him tested and found out that it was negative, but because of the situation circumstances, we, we had to be careful. We had to check with it. Um, you know, we, we, we notified the league right away. We isolated him as quickly as we could. Um, and then we were able to find a testing site for him just to make sure. But he had symptoms, you know, and it's, it was unfortunate. But we, we had to be careful. All right, so at least some good news there. But Washington on Sunday night was without multiple defensive players for the game due to the team's COVID-19 outbreak. Washington was without linebacker Cole Holcomb due to him being on the reserve COVID-19 list on which he was placed this past Wednesday afternoon, December 22nd. Washington was without edge defender Nate Orchard due to him being on the reserve COVID-19 list on which he was placed this past Thursday afternoon, December 24th. Now, Washington for this game got back a number of players from the team's COVID-19 outbreak. Corner Kendall Fuller was back. Safety Cameron Curl was back. Uh, linebacker and special teams ace David Mayo was back. Linebacker Milo Eifler was back. One of the highlights of the night was when NBC put up the starting lineups for the game. And, you know, each player says uh, what school he's, he says his name and what school he's from. And there was no video for Milo Eifler because nobody ever counted on Milo Eifler uh, playing a prominent role in Washington's defense for this game on Sunday night. But, oh, Milo, he was back. And also uh, back were edge defender James Smith-Williams and interior defensive lineman Tim Settle. Uh, each guy was active off having been inactive for the loss at the Eagles in Week 15 off having recently come off the reserve COVID-19 list. But also for Washington for this game was Washington on Friday afternoon, Christmas Eve afternoon, having placed two defensive players on the reserve injured list. Washington on Friday afternoon placed safety slash linebacker Landon Collins on the reserve injured list due to his foot injury. And Washington on Friday afternoon placed edge defender Daniel Wise on the reserve injured list due to a knee injury that he suffered in the loss at the Eagles in week 15. So there were a lot of comings and goings with all of this. You know, with the Landon Collins thing, there's a whole conversation to be had of, has he played his final snap as a Washington player, right? I mean, Landon Collins, March 2019, he signed a six-year, $84 million contract, $31 million guaranteed at signing as an unrestricted free agent. His salary cap hit for the 2022 season, what will be his age 28 season, is set to be 16 Point two million dollars. I mean, yes, he's been better in this role of, you know, safety slash linebacker, drop down safety, Buffalo nickel, whatever the heck you want to call it. But is he worth $16.2 million? I don't think so. Okay. And the fact that you had to go through this whole drama this season of, oh, where are you playing Landon? How come he won't play uh, more in the box? And how come you started the season with him as a, more of a pure safety? And then you finally convinced him to move into more of this Buffalo nickel role. It's like, is, is all of that worth $16.2 million just because he made a few plays over the last few weeks? I don't think so. I would cut him. 
But uh, we'll see what Washington ends up doing. But yeah, like there's there's like that whole topic to get into. Is Landon Collins now done as a Washington football player? Well, the DeShazer Everett situation, a tragic situation to be sure. Let's talk about it right now. All right, so the DeShazer-Everett situation, what an awful situation this is. The Washington football team on Friday afternoon, on Christmas Eve afternoon, placed safety and special teams ace DeShazer-Everett on the reserve non-football injury list, what is known as the NFI list. DeShazer-Everett on Thursday night, December 23rd, was the driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County that killed the vehicle's passenger. The passenger was 29-year-old Olivia Peters. She was a lifelong resident of Montgomery County, Maryland. She attended Our Lady of Good Counsel High School in Olney, Maryland, went on to attend the University of South Carolina as an undergrad, and then attended Shenandoah University, where she earned her master's degree in occupational therapy. She had recently started OT practices in Las Vegas, Nevada, and in Manhattan, New York. Olivia Peters' family in a statement said that she was an occupational therapist whose, quote, passion and sole focus in life was treating special needs and underprivileged children, end quote. In terms of the actual accident, the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office in a report said that DeShazer Everett's 2010 Nissan GTR left the right side of the roadway, struck several trees, and rolled over. The accident was a single car accident that took place on Gum Spring Road. If you are familiar with Gum Spring Road in Loudoun County, you know that this road is a winding road. It is a road that can be treacherous. It is a road that can be difficult to navigate. Uh, DeShazer Everett was being treated for injuries that were considered serious, but non life-threatening. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, two other Washington players, linebacker Jamin Davis and corner Benjamin St. Juice, reportedly spoke to police, and Davis and St. Juice said that they were in a car behind DeShazer's car after having gone out to dinner with him. Uh, Washington on Friday morning, on Christmas Eve morning, put out a statement that included the following, quote, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who has been affected by this tragedy, our team has alerted the league office and is working with local authorities as we continue to gather more information. We will have no further comment at this time. End quote. Ron Rivera, in his post-practice Zoom press conference on Friday, on Christmas Eve, had the following exchange with Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Ron, I have to ask, first of all, about DeShazer Everett. Um, what is your reaction to the news, and did you want to comment at all on, on what's happened with him? No, the only thing I want to say is that, um, you know, it's very sad to hear the news. Um, my thoughts and prayers go out to the family of, uh, of the young lady and, um, and also out to, to Shazer and his family as well. So it's a very difficult situation and, you know, we'll just let, uh, we'll let things go on and, and, and let the, uh, you know, let the, the police and the investigation go through uh, and, and find out what happened. All right. So again, that was Ron Rivera on Friday. So the obvious question in terms of what happened here is, well, was DeShazer Everett under the influence? Was he speeding? Is this crash the fault of DeShazer Everett? And we just don't know. 
So, you know, to sit here and speculate and to pontificate on the dangers of drunk driving, the dangers of speeding, I'm not going to do that because we do not know if DeShazer Everett is guilty of any of that. All we know are the facts that I just took you through. This was a one-car accident that resulted in the death of the passenger in the vehicle. I can tell you that DeShazer Everett is a very respected member of the Washington football team. Now, that doesn't make him immune to having done something like drive under the influence or drive at an excessive speed. I understand that, okay? I'm just going off of what we know because I think it's important in a situation like this to work with that which you know, okay? And to not just assume things because I think that happens a lot in this day and age uh, in the media, you know, in the news media especially. Things are assumed and uh, people can end up being very wrong in these situations. So let's see what the facts end up being. But this season is DeShazer Everett's age 29 season. DeShazer Everett entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of Texas A&M with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in May 2015. Washington initially signed DeShazer Everett on August 1st, 2015. Washington has waived DeShazer Everett. Washington has practice squatted DeShazer Everett. Uh, Washington has changed DeShazer Everett's position. The team moved him from corner to safety prior to the 2016 season, but DeShazer Everett has survived, and this season is his seventh consecutive season with Washington. DeShazer Everett is one of the longest tenured players with the Washington football team. He's been a very valuable special teams player. He was named as the team's special teams player of the year for the 2017 season, and DeShazer Everett this season through week 15 was number one on Washington in special team snaps this regular season at 84.96%. Washington in March 2018 signed DeShazer Everett to a multi-year contract extension. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say all of these things mean that DeShazer Everett couldn't have possibly done something wrong in this situation. But I am here to tell you, this is not someone who has the reputation for being some jerk or, you know, for being some slacker or for being someone on whom you cannot rely. You know, it says a lot about DeShazer Everett that he has been carried over from the previous administration into the Ron Rivera era. You know, Ron hasn't kept many guys from the old guard, but he has kept DeShazer Everett. And I think that says something about DeShazer's reputation as a football player. Now, you know, him as a human being, I'm not here to tell you that he's got a halo over his head. I don't know that. He may have done nothing wrong in this situation. He may have done many things wrong in this situation. We don't know. Uh, It is an awful situation, like I said. All you can do is hope for the best for the family of the victim and hope for the best for DeShazer Everett and his family Uh, If, in fact, DeShazer Everett is not guilty of any true wrongdoing here, okay? And hopefully time will tell on that. Hopefully we will ultimately arrive at the truth. But, you know, I was thinking about this. This DeShazer Everett incident marks a second time in three years that a woman has died off being with a Washington safety. It was in November 2019 that we had the Monte Nicholson situation. You remember that? Early morning hours of November 14, 2019, then-Washington safety Monte Nicholson and another man brought an unconscious and unresponsive woman, 21-year-old Julia Crabb, to a Loudoun County hospital, a Nova emergency room, Ashburn Healthplex. Crabb 
was later pronounced dead from an apparent drug overdose. Monte had been dating Crab. The two had gone out to dinner with some friends before going back to Monte's residence in an Ashburn townhouse community. According to the Washington Post, which spoke with Crab's brother, Monte found Julia Crab on a bathroom floor. Monte then called not 911, but Crab's family. The Loudoun County Sheriff's Office on November 15, 2019, said that Monte and the other man who dropped off Crab at the hospital did not place a call to 911. Uh, Julia Crab's father, Herman, told the Washington Post in a piece that was published on November 15, 2019, that he had not heard from Monte since Julia's death. Then on November 19, 2019, we learned from a search warrant filed in Loudoun County Circuit Court and obtained by multiple media outlets that pills, marijuana, and foil with residue were found in Monte's residence during a police search following the death of Julia Crabb. Now, the warrant did not specify to whom the drugs belonged. Monte was never actually charged with anything, but Washington did release Monte Nicholson on March 23rd. 2020. I am not equating the Monte Nicholson situation with the DeShazer Everett situation. We do not know. My only point here is for a second time in three years, we are dealing with the death of a woman off her having been with a Washington safety. You talk about horrible things happening with the Washington football team and people associated with the Washington football team. It's remarkable, man. Okay. Like, you know, there's all the football stuff that we yell and scream about. There's the name stuff. There's the Dan Snyder stuff. And then there's stuff like this, people dying. And again, we don't know what happened with DeShazer Everett. But good God, twice in three years, we have something like this happening. Uh, just awful. Just awful. All right, a few more thoughts on the Washington football team's oh-so-lovely 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Washington now 6-9 and nine on the season. And while Washington was not officially eliminated from playoff contention with this loss on Sunday night, all realistic playoff hopes for the W to the F to the T have now gone bye-bye. So you talk about Murphy's Law, and I'm not talking about Mark Murphy. You talk about all that could go wrong going wrong for Washington on Sunday night. How about Washington having a punt that got blocked for a touchdown? Not even Tress Way was immune to everything that went wrong on Sunday night. Washington had a punt that got blocked for a touchdown. Washington's 10th offensive drive was a third quarter three and out that resulted in a blocked Tress Way punt the block was by running back Corey Clement, uh, who used to be with the Philadelphia Eagles, as you likely remember. Uh, and the football got recovered in the end zone by edge defender Chauncey Golston for a Cowboys touchdown. The ensuing extra point gave the Cowboys a 49-7 lead. I mean, it just felt like everything that could go in a negative way for Washington on Sunday night did. It just was such a bad night in so many different ways for the Washington football team. And conversely, everything that could go right for the Cowboys went right. Heck, the Cowboys clinched the NFC East before the start of the game. The Cowboys clinched the division due to the Las Vegas Raiders 17-13 win over the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons 2016 win over the Detroit Lions. Uh, a few observations beyond just the bad. Uh, Washington for the game had two kickers on the team's active roster. Joey Sly 
and Brian Johnson. Now, Joey Sly was active for the game. Brian Johnson was inactive for the game. Uh, Joey Sly did not attempt a field goal in the game. He went 2-2 two two on extra points. But Joey Sly is back as Washington's kicker. Washington on Saturday, on Christmas, uh, activated kicker Joey Sly off the reserve injured list. It was on November 30th that Washington placed Joey Sly on the reserve injured list due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12. And also on November 30th was Washington signing Brian Johnson off the Chicago Bears practice squad. I don't know if Washington is carrying two kickers on the active roster right now uh, because it's still kind of sketchy in terms of Joey Sly and the hamstring. I don't know if Washington is carrying two kickers on the active roster right now due to the COVID-19 outbreak, but that is rare. It's hard to remember the last time Washington had this. Two kickers on the team's 53-man roster. Uh, A few positives. Why don't we end with that? A few positives for Washington on Sunday night. I mean, geez, so much negativity the entire show. So let me salute Antonio Gibson. He was questionable for Sunday night with a toe injury, but he ended up playing, and when he touched the football, uh, did some good things. Six carries for 29 yards, two receptions for 29 yards, and a touchdown on four targets. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in the Antonio Gibson touchdown reception. Taylor Heineke's Third and goal, eight-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson on a screen pass on the second snap in the second quarter. And Antonio Gibson had some good runs in this game. I mean, you know, Washington's offense was abysmal in the game, yes. But when Antonio Gibson got touches, when Washington was able to, you know, legitimately try to run the football, when the game was, you know, not a complete laugher, Antonio Gibson had some good runs. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in a first-quarter punt, third snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard under center toss run. Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, third snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a second and 10, 15 yard shotgun run. And Gibson also had another really nice catch in the game. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt, the first snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 21 yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson, although the game was already in garbage time by that point. Uh, John Bates had a nice showing on Sunday Night Football. Two receptions for 45 yards and a touchdown on three targets. And he drew a penalty. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. The third snap of the drive and the penultimate snap of the first quarter on a first and 10 at the Cowboys 12. John Bates drew a five-yard holding penalty on safety. J. Ron Curse giving Washington a first and goal at the seven. Uh, Washington's 11th offensive drive resulted in a third quarter turnover on downs, but the third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and seven, 32-yard shotgun completion to John Bates, who impressively broke through multiple attempted tackles for significant yardage after the catch. And we also had the John Bates touchdown. Washington's 13th offensive drive was the second drive for Washington with Kyle Allen at quarterback. The 12th snap of the drive on a fourth quarter, second and four at the Cowboys 13. John Bates caught a shotgun pass from Kyle Allen, broke through an attempted tackle near the Cowboys five-yard line, fumbled the football, but then recovered the ball at the goal line for a touchdown. So yeah, I mean, I guess you have to dock some points off John Bates uh, for fumbling the football, but he recovered the football and he ended up scoring. I like John Bates. I think John Bates could end up being Washington's top tight end next season, depending on the availability of Logan Thomas off his uh, late season torn ACL. Also, Deami Brown made a big play on Sunday night. We've been waiting on that this season. Deami Brown, two receptions for 53 yards 
on two targets. Washington's fourth offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. The first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke at first and 10, 48-yard under center play action bomb to Deami Brown, who made a really nice catch, a great leaping catch between two Cowboys defensive backs, including corner Trayvon Diggs. Understand the extent to which Deami Brown had not been productive this season. 12 games, nine receptions for 87 yards and no touchdowns on 22 targets. Nine catches on 22 targets, but Deami on Sunday night, two catches for 53 yards on two targets. So at least we had that. Well, the Washington football team got demolished on Sunday evening, and so too did the Washington basketball team. Uh, the Wizards, they fell to 17-16 and with a 117-96 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening. So the Wizards now are 7-13 and since their 10-3 start to the season. Wizards were coming off two consecutive wins, a terrific 109-103 victory at the Utah Jazz on December 18th, and then a 124-117 win at the New York Knicks this past Thursday night. Now, the Wizards, like the Washington football team, have been dealing with a COVID-19 situation, and the Wizards were without a number of key players on Sunday evening. Wizards were without Bradley Beal for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Wizards were without Contavious Caldwell-Pope, for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And the Wizards were without Howell Neto due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. So, you know, as the NBA as a whole has had to grapple with a COVID-19 problem, the Wizards themselves right now are missing some key guys, especially in Beal and KCP. Also, the Wizards did remain without Rui Hachimura, who still has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. But Rui for this game was listed as questionable for a second straight game. Uh, also, the Wizards were without Thomas Bryant. He is yet to play this season as he continues to recover from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January. Uh, we also had, during the game, Montrez Harrell getting ejected in the third quarter. So the Wizards were missing a bunch of key players. But you know what? The 76ers were without multiple key players due to them being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Andre Drummond was out for the 76ers. Danny Green was out for the 76ers. Uh, Shake Milton was out for the 76ers. And so as we've been discussing with the Washington football team, the excuse of the Wizards being without a bunch of key players only goes so far. And the Wizards were not good in this game. Now, the Wizards won the first quarter 31-25. That is true. But the Wizards got smashed over the second and third quarters. The Wizards lost the second and third quarters by a combined score of 67-41. Uh, the Wizards did not shoot well. Wizards went just 8-33 on threes, just 27-57 to on twos. And the Wizards' defense was really bad. The Wizards allowed the 76ers to go 12-31 of on threes and 31-55 of on twos. And as has happened before, the Wizards got shredded by Joel Embiid. Uh, Embiid went 2-5 of five on threes, 10-12 of 12 on twos, and 10-11 of 11 on free throws. He finished with 36 points, 13 rebounds, and 2 blocks in just 30 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter. Next up for the Wizards, they'll be at the Miami Heat Tuesday night at 7.30. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 216 will feature much more 
on the Washington football team off it falling to 6-9 and nine with the oh-so-close 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Ron Rivera is expected to be doing a day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, so we'll have the thoughts of the Don, Don Ron, to go through. Uh, we were going to have a Capitals game against the Ottawa Senators at Capital One Arena on Monday night to talk about on Tuesday's show, but that game postponed as the NHL on Christmas Eve announced an extension of the league's holiday break by another day due to that league's ongoing COVID-19 problem. The NHL began its holiday break on December 22nd, was to resume play on Monday with 14 games, but all 14 of those games got postponed. And so now the NHL is scheduled to resume play on Tuesday. By the way, speaking of COVID-19 wrecking sports, Virginia has withdrawn from its bowl game and the game now is canceled. Did you see that? Uh, Virginia was supposed to play SMU in the Fenway Bowl at Fenway Park in Boston this Wednesday, December 29th, but UVA on Sunday announced that uh, the Cavaliers no longer are able to participate in Wednesday's Fenway Bowl uh, due to the number of COVID-19 cases impacting the Cavs roster, quote, preventing safe participation as a result of this withdrawal. The game and associated activities will no longer take place, and quote, also the Military Bowl has been canceled. The Military Bowl was supposed to take place on Monday afternoon, was supposed to pit Boston College versus East Carolina at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, but the game canceled due to, yes, COVID-19 protocols uh, within Boston College. We still do have, as far as we know, the Maryland-Virginia Tech Bowl game. Maryland scheduled to play Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium this Wednesday afternoon, December 29th, at 2.15, but I haven't checked Twitter within the last 30 seconds, so who knows? Maybe that game ends up being canceled. Hopefully not. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. That's hard on people. I mean, that's not normal shit. That's real-life shit, and that's what they're dealing with. These are young men, and we're just trying to help them along the way, okay?